So, Mark. Yes? In a very early episode of this podcast. Okay. You made fun of my scripts. Probably. Sounds about right. Because for listeners, it's a little peek behind the curtain. There's a script for every episode, except for the handful of times when there wasn't a script. All of those times were mistakes. Those are our worst episodes. One of the things included in every script at the top is the number of the episode. And early in our run, Mark made fun of me because those early episodes were titled 001, 002, 003, etc. Well, Mark... Your day of reckoning has arrived, and I am here to gloat. (laughs) I am the one that is eating the crow pie. That's right. I really want to just bring in Henry Winkler from Barry and say, So your guy seeks revenge by shitting in a pie and trying to get him to eat it. Yeah, that's how I read it. And then by some cruel twist of irony, you eat the shit pie. Eating crow is such a weird phrase, and I think eating crow pie is also not a thing. I don't think I've ever heard that phrase before. Well, imagine instead that you had four and twenty blackbirds. Oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) And think how undelightful that would be. Yeah, I don't want that. It's eating humble pie or eating crow, not eating crow pie. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag crow pie. That is what Mark is experiencing right now. Please tweet your derision at him. Because this, ladies and gentlemen, is our 100th episode. I've spent far too much time in this living room looking at Will. Hey, some of those times <laughs> we were in a very small classroom at Georgetown. <laughs> How does it feel? Amazing. Feels great. Congratulations. It's vindication. Thank you. You guys, I have a surprise. Is it a good surprise or is it that time when you're like, I have a present for you, hold out your hand, and it's a piece of garbage. And then you get mad at us if we don't hold out our hand because you're like, what, you don't want a gift from me? This is so rude. And I'm like, Fiona, I know it's trash. And you're like, you don't know that? And I'm like, yes, I do. That's what it always is. I 100% do that. But I'm not going to tell you what the surprise is. I'm going to make you decide if you want it or you don't. Mark, what do you think? Should I eat some more crow pie? (laughs) What if, what if it is crow pie? I'm into it. Okay. Is it a crow pie? It is not a crow pie because, as I said, I've never heard of that before. Because <laughs> it's not a real <laughs> thing. It's not a thing at all. Is it close? Uh, it is edible. Okay. Okay. I don't know if crow pie is, guys. <laughs> Do people eat crows? I don't. Like, people eat duck Eating crow is like an expression for like if you're forced yes. to reckon with being wrong but or being a fool. Which is what Mark is dealing with right now. Because we hit bird eater, three digits. Do you eat crow? I think the thing is, it's bad to, like, it's a bad bird to eat. Okay. It's bad to the bird. Is it bad to you? Oh, bad to the bird. (laughs) (laughs) What's really bad is how we're treating fish. (laughs) Shooting them through tubes, dropping them out of planes. Please, that was months ago. I'm sure we've dealt with that. (laughs) Okay, so do you want to see the surprise? Yes. We want to see the surprise. Okay. What foley artistry. <laughs> Ta-da! Oh, oh my, my gosh. god. This is amazing. What is it? We will post a picture of this delicious cookie cake that kind of says 100 on it. <laughs> Maybe it says 10D, which is not our apartment number. Guys, I overestimated <laughs> the amount of space I had here. We've all been there. A la John Mulaney. The balloons are a nice touch. Yeah, I didn't do those. <laughs> I, I guessed. What? <laughs> you think I was talented enough to put a blob of icing on I it? I mostly did think that you owned enough, uh, like, that type of pastry bag type deal. Well, that would be a correct statement. 
This is so exciting. I'm so happy. Well, how could you not celebrate episode 100? So we should be just chewing on the rest of the episode, right? Please don't. <laughs> we should just always have cookie cake in our mouth. That would be hell for me. <laughs> okay, but you're going to share this with me, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah, this is a great start to our 100th episode. Like, Mark, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. This is so fun. This show means a lot to me, and I'm very happy that it has made it this far. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for talking to us on Twitter. Thanks for sending us emails. And thanks to Square Apron for providing us with the continued funds to keep running this show. Look, Square Apron has been with us for so much of our run. They have been there through the high highs of talking about movies like Titanic and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Kahonaho and the lows of talking about movies like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And Maid of Honor, the episode where I am canonically the maddest. Square Apron's been with us through thick and thin when everyone else let us down. We tried early on to get Be Wild Body Glitter to sponsor the show, and they did not answer our calls. <laughs> That's pretty rude of them. Did we even try? We, we should have actually sent them an email. may have tweeted about them. Okay. We heard a couple of times from Marjorie Erickson at NPR One, and then she disappeared. It was like she left the country or something. <laughs> it's almost like she went to a country with questionable internet access. Please, Marjorie Erickson would never do that. And so really, it's been Square Apron that has been with us through thick and thin, and we are here to tell you that Square Apron can be with you too. Every week, every month, whatever plan you sign up for, Square Apron will send you the box. A beautiful box, really. It's a lovely box. The size of a mini fridge. And it's got everything that you need to make beautiful, delicious websites right in the comfort of your home. We use Square Apron to make websites all the time. It's only organic numbers. It's only the highest quality sourced ones and zeros. What's an example of a website you've made? Why you gotta do it dirty like this, Fiona? (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't take it from us. Take it from one of Square Apron's many happy users. Bertha Butter is a proud Square Apron user. She makes teddy bears right in the comfort of her home, and she then sells them to people around the world using the power of Square Apron. Is her because website butterbears.com? Please. I'm going to just It's Bertha it Butter's Bear Bonanza. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, look at her website. It's amazing. There's a butter stick and a bear and Bertha written in hot pink letters all across the entire screen. All developed using the power of Square Apron. And they you know send what? you just the things you need. The ability to make a store, to have an About Us page where Bertha Butter can tell the story of her bear bonanza and how it came from her great uncle Bertie. Don't forget the landing page, that thing we all know about. Oh, of course. And there's also a comment section so people can say horrible things about you. Everything that you need and no more. That's the key to Square Apron's brilliance is you don't have old URLs like rotting in your fridge because you just needed one but you had to buy the whole package. It's that efficiency of bringing you just what you or your family need. And we know you're worried about where your websites are coming from. These are all fresh, picked daily from the nearest farms that grow the most beautiful URLs you could ever imagine. It is brought straight from those farms to your door. There is no sitting in a freezer in the middle of nowhere for months on end. This is the freshest URL you'll ever get. All you need to do is go to squareapron.com love to get started right now with having these things brought to you. And when you Go to squareapron.com slash love and use the code love at checkout. That lets them know how passionate our fans are about responsibly sourced websites. And that also encourages them to keep funding the show 
so that we can keep doing this and so that we can get another 100 episodes. And now that we've done an ad that's somehow even longer than a normal podcast ad, let's start the show! Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. And I'm not mad if things go a little longer. We're here to celebrate. This is a podcast where we examine the most urgent issues of our day. Specifically, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? Let me tell you, Mark, by the end of this episode, I'm going to give you some overall feedback based on the first hundred episodes of our run as we dig into main plot romances, one-scene flirtations, things that are kind of in the middle, we look at them all. Whether they're American, whether they're not, whether they're animated, whether they're live, whether they are not even in the movie, like has happened to us with some movies, like Madagascar mostly. We look at them all, and we won't stop until we've found our answer. And so this week, we're celebrating our 100th episode by creating two milestones. The presence of hashtag Fifi Fierce means that she has now appeared on 10% of our episodes. And the fact that we are covering DreamWorks Animation's 2010 film Megamind means that 10% of our movies have been the films of DreamWorks Animation. What a glorious day. Honestly, this is the highest honor I've ever received. This is the first time the two have met as well. This is your first DreamWorks movie. I tend to stick to made-for-TV movies and The Princess Diaries. How does it feel to be part of our DreamWorks age? I'm not sure if I'm up to the challenge, but we'll see how we go. I am actually excited to be looking at this one because this is the most recent DreamWorks movie that we've covered. And I think that'll be something that we can dig into a little bit. You mean the one from a decade ago? That's right. (laughs) Nine years. (laughs) So as I said, this week we are covering the 2010 film Megamind, directed by Tom McGrath, who we've seen before because he co-directed the Madagascar movies and also voiced Skipper the Penguin. Ah, yes. Those movies that we watched one of and destroyed Claire's childhood. (laughs) He was also the solo director on the Academy Award-nominated film The Boss Baby. Oh. And will be director again on the, I assume, (laughs) soon-to-be Academy Award-nominated Boss Baby sequel. I can't believe that's happening. there's a sequel? Two Boss, Two Baby. That's not what it's called, but it should be. I saw somebody on Twitter recently that was just like, imagine being in the meeting where somebody pitched that as the name instead of Fast and the Furious 2. Like, imagine the exhilaration. I can't imagine how excited you must feel. Yeah, it's incredible. If that was my idea, that would be the only thing on my resume. Oh, 100%. Anyway, as we said, this is the film Megamind, which was originally written in 2003 by Brent Simons and Alan Schoolcraft as a live action movie, which they later described as, ugh, edgy. <laughs> Ew. It was bought by Ben Stiller's development company, and Stiller eventually brought it to DreamWorks, where he had worked on the Madagascar films. Stiller is in this movie as Bernard, who speaks very briefly, because most of the time it's Will Ferrell voicing Megamind pretending to be Bernard. I cannot believe the cast in this movie. It's actually crazy. So this movie fits very neatly into something we've talked about at DreamWorks, which is the fact that DreamWorks is making crappy, star-driven studio comedies. Shark Tale is a Will Smith movie. Oscar the Shark Slayer is a Will Smith character. Madagascar, all those people are playing on versions of their star personas. B-Movie, of course, is a Jerry Seinfeld vehicle through and through. A Jerry Seinfeld ego-driven disaster. Nope, get out. And then this movie is doing the same thing. This is a Will Ferrell movie. It's coming two years after Step Brothers, at sort of the tail end of the Will Ferrell peak of the 2000s. This is going to be the same year as The Other Guys. So... (laughs) So we're all in, like like I said, the tail yeah. end of that. 
But at the same time, for Tina Fey, this is the same year that Date Night comes out, which is a big movie for her. 30 Rock is on the air. It's two years after her performance as Sarah Palin on SNL, which did a lot to catapult her into the pop culture stratosphere. Yeah. Date Night, also, I remember being a very fun movie. I didn't see that one, but... I have not seen it recently enough to have an opinion. I remember that is a movie where they cut a scene when I saw it in theaters in Singapore, and I had no idea what was happening because they oh. cut a lot of context. Interesting. Yeah, it was something that was probably considered too risque, which- The bar feels low in Singapore. Oh, boy, is it. It loosened while we were there, but at one point, we were watching Law & Order, and they had blurred out a gun and beeped out the gunshots on TV. Oh my gosh! In addition to Farrell and Tina Fey, we have Ben Stiller, who is, of course, returning to DreamWorks after his performance in Madagascar. We also have Brad f***ing Pitt in this movie. Yeah. And Jonah Hill. So Jonah Hill, this is also his second DreamWorks movie, because earlier this same year, he was in How to Train Your Dragon. Mm. He came up through the Judd Apatow pipeline with Knocked Up and Superbad, and he gets his first Oscar nomination the year after this for Moneyball, a very good movie. Oh, I did like that one. Yeah, it rules. Also with Brad Pitt. Yes, that's true. It's a very underrated Best Picture nominee. I don't think I knew it was nominated. Also, making a second appearance in a DreamWorks movie is David Cross as Minion. Oh, yeah. Fun performance. What a yeah. Weird I guess. Role. Yeah, I liked it. He was in London working on something else. So he would record his lines in a studio there. They would send the files to Los Angeles. Or Will Ferrell would get fed those lines, riff on them. They would send those back to London, where David Cross would then riff on them. So it's a very weird thing for recording dialogue. That is a lot of work. Yeah, that sounds like way too much work. Yeah. The only other interesting dialogue recording thing I heard about this was that Brad Pitt felt that both the actioniness of Metro Man and also the Elvisiness of Metro Man required movement. So instead of using a mic stand and stuff, he just used a handheld microphone and wandered around the studio while he delivered his lines. Oh my gosh. He's not really a voice actor. No. And not a lot is asked of him in this movie. Yeah. That's true. Which is kind of surprising because I had never seen this movie until I watched it this morning. But I went back and rewatched the trailer to make sure I was right. The trailer is entirely Megamind versus Metro Man. I haven't seen the trailer in long enough to comment either. on this. The trailer pitches the movie as, here's Will Ferrell, he's Megamind, he's up against his foe, Metro Man. Spoilers for the movie Megamind, Metro Man is only in like the first 10 minutes of the movie. And makes a brief reappearance. Yeah, but like he's not doing anything at that point. Yeah. And this was treated like the ending of Endgame, where the studio was working hard to keep a lid on it, and they just, like, were not revealing it. This movie had a panel at Comic-Con that year. Will Ferrell showed up in a very bad Megamind costume. I need to see this. Oh! Oh! Oh. Ah! Ah. Did he hire an eight-year-old to make that? It looks like he made it himself. He probably did. It's entirely possible. He's not very crafty. No. And at this panel like jonah hill was there jonah hill plays hal who gets turned into titan and he was apparently not allowed to reveal that his character became a superhero during the panel and like made jokes about like yeah jeffrey katzenberg is probably in the audience and will shoot me if i say anything meanwhile some of the merch they handed out had his character in costume well that's just stupid then yeah but this was like a very jealously guarded secret the the nature of what the movie was actually about I don't remember any of that happening, which means that they probably did a decent job, but at the same time, all I remember is seeing, like, one Megamind trailer and then being like, hey, I guess I'll see that in theaters. Yeah. It was originally called Mastermind, and then eventually called Ubermind with two O's. Like, ooh. I think Megamind Megamind was the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. 
this is also a rare DreamWorks movie in that there has been neither a sequel nor a TV series. The only spin-off-y kind of thing was a short film on the DVD called That's Megamind, fine. The Button of Doom. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, the movie's not that good. No. This movie is the peak of fine. Yeah, I didn't hate it, and I didn't love it. It's yeah. entirely mediocre. It was some time of my life. And I will not watch it again. I was very delighted to discover that the credits were a full 10 minutes. Yeah, I I was actually scrolling over the Netflix bar hoping they would be long credits and they weren't. I was very happy. So I didn't know. I was assuming they would be like three minutes. And so I kept checking in on like how much time is left and being like, that's kind of a lot of time. <laughs> and then the credits are 10 minutes and it was great. I spent time on a beautiful day that was outside. I spent my time inside watching this movie. Yeah, and the weather in October is so nice. Yeah, right? (laughs) I do love fall. So this movie was released on November 5th, 2010, and it opened in first place with $46 million and went on to gross $148 million domestic. That seems low for a DreamWorks movie. It is relatively low. For some context on what it was competing with, it held the top slot at the box office for two weeks, and then a little film called Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 opened, Oh, and probably swallowed up a lot of its box office possibilities. One of the other things that might have gotten it even a little more attention, we talked about this being a stacked cast, and Will Ferrell is definitely a draw at this point, but originally attached for the lead was, I would argue, an even bigger box office draw, a little fella named Robert Downey Jr., who was going to be playing Megamind, which would be a weird movie. Yeah. With Iron Man just in the rearview mirror. So he had to drop out because he didn't have time since he was shooting both Iron Man 2 and Sherlock Holmes. Oh, okay. But like, that would be a weird artifact. And Downey's career this decade is weird anyway, because his film career is basically Iron Man movies, two Sherlock Holmes movies, and The Judge. Ah, yes, The Judge. Cinematic classic, The Judge. My God, what? is that movie um he's a judge well actually he's a lawyer his dad's the judge he's got to defend the judge the judge the judge this movie was kind of an underperformer like you said though in april of 2011 so like five months after it came out jeffrey katzenberg was doing a presentation and he said that dreamworks would stop making outright genre parodies like megamind shark tale and monsters versus aliens because they didn't travel particularly well overseas and that they would instead double down on their franchises wait what is shark tale what genre is that supposed oh, to be oh shark tale's a mafia oh, movie the ma- yep i knew that martin scorsese plays a blowfish in it yeah you're familiar with famed director martin scorsese right well and, and his then i remember famed the role as a blowfish yeah oh yeah I got it now. Yeah. Um, the other uh, big name involved in this, if you were paying attention to the credits, were the two I people not. credited as creative consultants. Mark, did you see them? Both credited as creative consultants on this movie, which again is Megamind, the 2010 DreamWorks animation film directed by the guy who voiced the penguin in Madagascar, were Justin Thoreau, yes, that one, huh? and Guillermo del Toro. What? I did see that name. So Del Toro came on like three weeks before the movie was done. Most of his contributions were in the editing bay dealing with structure stuff. And apparently his biggest contribution, according to an interview with Tom McGrath, was having the idea to start the movie in media res and then flashback. Originally, it just started with Megamind narrating his childhood. And he was like, no, no, no. Start with like the action of him falling from the sky. And then we'll be like, what happens to him? Justin Throw? Yeah, that one. I couldn't find out what his contributions were, but yeah, that one. He voiced Megamind's father. The original one at the beginning of the movie. Yes. Not Will Farrow's Marlon Brando impersonation. Right. So, I don't know. I mean, we don't have a ton to talk about here. This movie's a Superman ripoff. Yeah, 
but like it it's doing parody things yes or just but like yeah this movie is trading hard on superman yeah megamind I mean, was on a dying planet and his parents sent him in a little boat out through the universe and he crash landed on earth and the same thing happened with metro man played by brad pitt who is a very upsettingly buff baby <laughs> yeah, yeah that baby well, is horrifying. Baby goody two shoes or something. It's very upsetting how buff that baby is. Yeah. So they both have the Superman origin story. Neither of them winds up on the Kent farm. Metro Man winds up in a mansion and grows up loving gold and his magnificent ego, but having some sense of duty, but not enough. And Megamind grows up loving evil because that is what he has learned in the prison in which he is raised. Well, also because no one was nice to him. Who would leave that baby in a prison? Right. I know. Whereas, of course, Clark Kent grows up on a nice farm with the nice Ma and Pa Kent who teach him to be a good person and take care of people. Unless it's Man of Steel, in which case Kevin Costner tells you to sometimes not help people. I have strong feelings about Superman adaptations. Clearly. This was such a bummer to watch because it made me think... Like, Megamind's story, like, oh, what if Superman was bad, made me think of Brightburn, a movie that came out this year. That was about that premise, where it was, like, Superman's origin story in 2019. So, like, Superman, instead of being raised by Ma and Pa Kent, and, like, you always choose to do the right thing, even though it's hard, it's, like, Superman embraces toxic masculinity and is like, I have this power, I should be able to do whatever I want with it. And it's a really upsetting movie, but I think a really good exploration of the idea of Superman in the modern day. This, on the other hand, is just a very basic story with some very simple jokes. Yes, indeed. Um, We've got a lot to do this week, so should we just dive into the romance of Megamind? Yeah. So every sure. week, we break down the romance of the movie we're discussing into five points that help us to analyze just the romance and nothing else. We're definitely not going to talk about anything else. I do want to throw in one thing. Is it about a buff baby that's very upsetting to look at? Well, it's where that buff baby lands, which is in Metro City, which is in Michigan? Yeah. Also known as Matrocity. Can I tell you something weird about DC Comics? Yeah. So the DC Comics superheroes were not originally created all set in the same universe. That's one of the things that makes them different from Marvel. So they were set in these like generic cities like Metropolis or Star City or Gotham or whatever. And gradually these characters were brought together into a shared universe. And over time it was eventually established that real cities exist in this universe too. So for example, Gotham exists in the DC Comics universe. And so does New York. So canonically, on maps, Gotham is in South Jersey. Okay. And Metropolis is in northern Delaware. So they're very close to each other. So they're all part of the I-95 megalopolis. Yes, indeed. I, in my brain, Metropolis is more of like a like a Kansas City kind of deal. More of like a regional hub with the planes all around it. But it's in Delaware. So we just have to reckon with that. I honestly think... I have not seen it. I think it is probably bad. But the pairing of doing a Metropolis Gotham as the, like, San Francisco-Oakland, like, a historically better-off versus a historically impoverished area is kind of a cool idea. They do that in the film Batman versus Superman, that's Dawn what, of Justice. Yeah, that's what I mean. I was referencing that movie, but I have not seen it, so I can't comment if they did it well. But I think that is kind of a cool idea. They don't do too much of it. The opening of BVS... With Bruce Wayne watching the destruction of Van Steel is kind of good. Yeah, because let's keep in mind, there's a place in Gotham that is just referred to as Crime Alley. Crime Alley! (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a sketchy place you don't want to go to. Batman rules. Anyway, should we start with point one? Okay, yeah. So, Fiona, you're our guest. You're our Megamind expert. Uh, Yes. Can you start off by telling me- Megamind on Megamind. Can you start off by telling me Megamind's name? Because in the opening narration- (laughs) 
we are told that the buff baby ultimately chooses the name Metro Man to represent the city that he is defending. It's kind of implied this happens when he's an adult, when he becomes a hero. And similarly, Megamind implies that around the same time, as he descends into villainy, he chooses the name Megamind. What is his normal name? This is a question I was not prepared for. <laughs> the movie does not answer. I, I, yeah, I don't know. We could call him Bob. Okay, so tell me about the uh, the romance between Bob and Roxanne Ritchie. I mean, Lois Lane. I mean, Roxanne Ritchie. Uh, I refer to her as Tina Fey throughout all of my notes. She's Lois in most of my notes. Okay, so that'll be interesting then. So I guess point number one is when Bob, Will Ferrell, Megamind. We should call him Megamind because I'm going to lose okay. my track. Megamind kidnaps Tina Fey. <gasps> Give it up, Megamind. Your plans never work. Let's stop wasting time and call your boyfriend in tights, shall we? We know from the opening narration that in one day he's going to go to jail, lose the girl of his dreams, and get his butt kicked. And so we learn that, yes, he has kidnapped Lois Lane on the day of the opening of the Metro Man Museum. At this time, we are also, I be- what I understood, we are led to believe that this is not the first time he has kidnapped her. We're explicitly told that this has happened many times. Yes, she knows all of the tricks in his lair. She's not concerned at all. And Jonah Hill, who plays her cameraman, has made comments about how, like, she's always getting rescued by Metro Man. We also find out that Jonah Hill slash Hal is in love with Tina Fey. And is A, a bad flirt, but also B, really creepy about it. Yes. So Metro Man's gay and is using Roxanne as his beard, right? I think that's entirely plausible. Oh, okay. That seems to be the vibe I'm getting. We are sort of led to believe at this point that the two of them are dating. Right, because it's Superman, and Superman dates Lois Lane. Right. But later in the film, she says, like, oh, we never really have dated or anything. Everyone no, just assumed like, that because he's always rescuing me. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like, hmm, Megamind. Or more, they're just like uh, friends with benefits. Or Metroman. a no strings attached, if you'd prefer that. <laughs> <laughs> that's really all I had for point one. Okay, so point one, he kidnaps her. And that's when Metroman is supposed to rescue her. But instead, Megamind has built a duplicate observatory so that Metroman goes to the real one and not the fake one, where... Megamind is trapping her, and then Metro Man is killed by his death ray. Yeah, but I didn't believe for one second that he was actually dead. But there was a skeleton with a cloak. Yeah, I don't know. know. Something happened. Something fishy's happening. I'm smart. I'm on to them. Is it like a fish through a tube? Yes. Or is it a fish from a plane? Uh, As a matter of fact, it's both. (laughs) The tube blade. (laughs) Yes. All right. So point two? Okay, so point two is after Metro Man's death. Oh, come on, Bernard. As long as there's evil, good will rise up against it. Oh, I wish. I believe someone is going to stand up to Megamind. You really think so? Yeah. It's like they say, heroes aren't born, they're made. So Megamind has this contraption where he can make himself look like anyone else. Yeah, it's like a chameleon watch. Yeah. By the way, I'm sorry. I have to jump back to the opening of the Metro Man Museum. Did you all have any thoughts on this celebration? Why did he punch through the wall of his own museum? It was a fake wall, It was a fake wall that they brought on just so he could... And they slid it away. Punch through the wall and be heroic. What did you think of all the cops firing their guns into the air (laughs) to celebrate the opening of the museum? (laughs) This was all weird. Oh, God, that was bad. What did you think of the woman who kissed Metro Man's feet as he drifted over the crowd? No, I did not like that one bit. Also, he juggled babies. Yeah. You're not supposed to shake babies, let alone juggle them. He's Metro Man. He does what he wants. This is an absurd thing. Also, like, that museum is very tall. Is all that space just dedicated to exhibits about him? Uh, appears to be, yeah. So, now that Mega Man is dead. Sorry. Sorry, Metro Man. Oh, go ahead. Also, at this opening, I need you to explain this to me. So, 
Metro Man is there. The museum is opening. All of a sudden, oh no, smoke comes up as a big robot representing Megamind bursts in to ruin the day and kidnap Roxanne Ritchie. We then see everything else going on around. It's the middle of the day, right? Yeah. Like at the observatories, it's the middle of the day? Yep. Yeah. You all agree with this statement? Yes. Yes. Okay, so we've established that it's the middle of the day. I would like to take you back to the opening of the Metro Man Museum, where it stays dark for the duration of this scene. So I ask you, has Megamind very selectively blotted out the sun, a la Mr. Burns, in the seminal classic, Who Killed Mr. Burns? He actually does. Like, he brings in a cloud. He permanently establishes a cloud? Yeah, the cloud, because you see Metro Man fly above it into the light again. Yeah, but I thought that was just, like, smoke from the robot bursting out. It kind of just floats there, I think. Weird. It's weird that no one addresses that. It is a, I assume maybe he blots out the sun a lot with this smoky cloud. Maybe. It's weird that it goes unaddressed. I really didn't uh, spend too much of my own energy worrying about it. Okay. Anyway, uh, Megamind doesn't know what windows are. He went to school. There were windows in that school. Ugh, so dumb. This movie's very dumb. (laughs) I was so mad at that. All right, so point number two. Okay. Okay, so uh, we get to this point where Megamind and Tina Fey are both standing on opposite sides of the Metro Man statue. Because Metro Man is dead, so there's no one to fight Megamind, so Megamind just takes over the city. Right. He, like, camps out in the mayor's office, steals whatever he wants. Like, he takes art from the museum, he takes money from the bank. He's running wild through the town. Because apparently the Mona Lisa is in Michigan. In this world. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tina Fey is on the other side, kind of lamenting about all of the good work that Metro Man has done. And like, oh man, now the city's falling to pieces. There's trash everywhere. Yes. So she is aware. So, So there's trash everywhere. So we have two possible explanations here. One, Metro Man cleaned up all the trash. Possible. I think it's- Two, because Megamind is camped out in City Hall, none of the civic services are getting taken care of. That's what I was thinking. Except- Everything else seems to be running smoothly. Like, the news is running fine. And I guess maybe it's what he's choosing. Like, he's trying to have a propaganda network. So he shut down the trash? It's not a propaganda network. They criticize him constantly. It's weird. Yeah, but in terms of the trash, like, he doesn't want it to be a fun place for them to live. He's trying to cultivate an aura of desperation. Yeah. Okay. Also, maybe they keep all of the trucks in the very large city hall. Just like, why why is it trash is the issue? It there doesn't appear to be any to other whole, criminals. It's part of the ambiance. It's really supposed to just show that he's not that evil. Yeah. It's things like, the trash is piling up. What a bad guy. Right. And like the whole idea is he had no real plan for defeating Metro Man. He expected to fight him forever. It's the, you know, dog chasing cars speech from The Dark Knight. Yeah. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He just did something too big for himself. The best version of supervillain defeats hero which, if you look at the writers, like, their original pitch was like, what would happen if Lex Luthor won? I'm like, well, we've seen that. He became president for a while, and he thought he could run the country better. Like, the interesting thing is people who do have plans. Like, Lex Luthor is not just, like, a dog chasing a car. He's a guy who has objectives. And, like, you take something, like, a few years after this, forgive me, as I go on a tangent. Like, we had the Superior Spider-Man run in comics, where Dr. Octopus was dying, so he switched his mind with Peter Parker, and Peter Parker died in Dr. Octopus's body, and then Doc Ock was Spider-Man, and was like, the way that I show I'm better is by being better at being Spider-Man than he was. And, like, he's using his own questionable methods where he, like, essentially establishes, like, stalker cameras all over so he can identify crimes in progress and, like, has to deal with that. And he, like, gets a henchman army to help him out. So it's, like, super villainy, but, like, there's a plan and he's trying to hero, so it's interesting. And, like, Megamind has no plan, so it's just, like, who cares? He's just sad and has everything he wants. He's a mopey man. He is a mopey man. 
I didn't call him that in my notes, though. Anyway, he ends up impersonating Bernard, who in my notes is referred to as who TF is Bernard. (laughs) Bernard, I believe, is like the scholar of Metro Man. He works at the museum. Well, of also Mega Man. Mind. Mega Mind. Probably because Metro Man fought Mega Mind so much. And possibly only him because no other supervillains resurface after Metro Man's death. Right. So as Bernard, Mega Mind tells Tina Fey that he is an expert in Mega Mind and he can help her defeat Mega Mind. Right. Because he's smitten. Yes, he is. And also because he's just like, she becomes inspired to defeat Mega Mind. And he's like, great, I will help you come up with something to fight Megamind so I will be less bored. Yeah. So they spend a lot of time together researching Megamind. They also do other things like go biking and lay on picnic blankets together. It's very romantic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they start dating. Yeah. She also admits that she and Metro Man were never actually an item. Again, because he's gay. Yes. Right. Are we at what point are we on? Lost track. I think that was still two. Okay. Okay. Point number three. Uh, sure. So he, uh, invites Tina Fey, Megamind invites Tina Fey onto, like, onto a big date. Roxanne? Yes? Say I wasn't so normal. Let's say I was bald and had the complexion of, of a popular primary color as a random, non-specific example. Would you still enjoy my company? Of course. You don't judge a book by its cover or a person from the outside? Oh. That's a relief to hear. You judge them based on their actions. This but, is Megamind pretending to be Bernard. Correct. He is still Bernard. But in the meantime, he has taken Hal and turned him into Titan. Because what he wants to do is to create a new superhero that he can fight regularly and establish the same cycle that he had with Metro Man. Right. Because without someone to fight, why is it worth even being bad? That's what he says. So bad to the bird. Yes. So he's got this whole date planned, but he does not realize that while he's been training Hal Titan... Oh, and also while training Titan, it is Will Ferrell doing an impression of Marlon Brando as Jor-El, because all of this is a Superman riff. Yes. So he's been training him, and Hal admits that there is this girl he loves. He never says who it is, though. But we know who it is because we've been watching the movie. Right. It's Roxanne Ritchie. It is Tina Fey. So Titan actually beats Megamind disguised as Bernard to Tina Fey that night, and he starts talking to her about us and everything and she finally says there is no us and so he brings her to the top of a building and leaves her there and he has been weird about his relationship with roxanne constantly at one point he's creepy he's really creepy at one point he invited her over for dinner and he's like yeah i've got like a bouncy house and stuff and she's like who else will be there uh just us well i think he he said it was a party first right and he said he's gonna gonna have a wedding photographer there in case they decide to do anything yeah uncomfortable it's really creepy yeah not good. from the first scene when he announces that he loves her yeah it's very uncomfortable she doesn't hear it because by then she's been kidnapped by megamind right so she gets rescued i believe by megamind right yeah yeah so megamind rescues her and then they go to dinner on their date and that is when they're kind of talking and he says would you still love me if i were blue and bald And she's like, yeah, it's what's inside that counts. Yeah. I don't know how she didn't pick up on the fact that he was describing Megamind. Yeah. Anyway, Uh, they're starting to kiss and her hand on his wrist toggles the chameleon watch and he turns back into himself. She's disgusted and she runs away and they are no longer an item. Wow. Really sad. This is a good reason to be upset because he, again, was a supervillain who had kidnapped her many times. Yep. Yes. Believable. (laughs) 
At this 10 point, out of 10. At this point, however, Titan has gone wild. He is furious that he was duped into thinking that his trainer was actually a trainer who cared about him when he finds out that his trainer was actually Megamind. In disguise, yes. He is also upset that Megamind has stolen the girl of his dreams, Tina Fey Roxanne. And He's also very dumb. He is really dumb. His name is Titan. He spells it T-I-G-H-T-E-N. That's not true. I swear it Wait, is. Wait, really? Yeah, when he burns... A new name of the city into the ground with his laser eyes. He names it like Titanville and it is spelled that way. Oh, I totally missed that. All right. Well, so he is really upset. And so he's just kind of like, I'm going to be evil and I'm going to like have a reign of terror over Metro City. And so the next point then is... Point number four? Uh, yes. When Tina Fey and Megamind decide they have to put aside some differences if they're going to overcome this greater evil that is Titan. I know there's still good in you, Hal. You're so naive, Roxy. You see the good in everybody, even when it's not there. You're living a fantasy. There is no Easter Bunny, there is no Tooth Fairy, and there is no Queen of England. Yeah, because it's no good for Megamind, because he didn't want another villain, he wanted a hero. And it's no good for Tina Fey, because he is actually destroying the city. Exactly. So they are not dating anymore, but they are working together Against for a, greater a joint evil. cause. Yes. Uh, in this whole project, they end up discovering that Metro Man is still alive. They find his lair. It's the old schoolhouse where Megamind had been tormented as a child. And it's basically been turned Which into... has windows. It does have windows. To be clear. And it's been turned into a shrine to Metro Man, where he hangs out, wears a bathrobe, and plays guitar. It's his solitary fortress, as Megamind refers to it. Yes. Because this is a Superman riff. Yeah. So they are unsuccessful in convincing him to come back and help them fight Titan. Yeah, this is where we learn that Metro Man is the worst. He faked his own death because he was sick of saving the world. Right. And look, I'm not saying you should always have to do things you don't want to do, but like... He's allowing the city to be covered in garbage, which, as we know, is the worst thing that's that happening to it. That is the worst of the evils. And I would think we just, at moments like this, we need to remember the words of Uncle Ben in the seminal Mark Webb film, The Amazing Spider-Man. If you could do good things for other people, you have a moral obligation to do those things. That's what's at stake here. Not a choice. Responsibility. Because that film bends over backwards to not say with great power comes great responsibility. If you're making a Spider-Man movie, just say it. Everyone knows it's coming. No one's going to judge you for it. If you could do good things for other people, you have a moral obligation <laughs> to do those things. Anyway. Megamind. <laughs> and basically point five now. You did it. You won. Well, I finally had a reason to win. You. As Titan is continuing to destroy the city. Oh, Megamind gives up. He turns himself back into jail. Right, he does. And then the minion, he were, minion actually saves him, uh, helps him get out of jail. And they're like, all right, we got it. They, oh, because they had actually gotten in a huge fight. This where, is his minion robot played by David Cross who has robot nipples. Right, but he's like a fish He's a fish a in a tank. It's like Mr. Freeze technology. on top of a robot body. A robot body that has nipples. Yes. And so basically at one point, Megamind is like, yeah, I'm kind of over all this evil stuff stuff i just want to date tina fey and the minion is like we've been through so much together how can you turn on our evil ways we had such a great run what are you doing but minion helps megamind escape from jail and they go out they end up rescuing tina fey who has been captured by her scorned lover titan and they end up 
through a long dramatic fight with clouds and little flying robots. Lots of uh, dramatic effects here. I described it as a rock concert. There are a lot of dramatic effects. Do you think his little robots look like the flying evil hat from Meet the Robinsons? Yes, I do. Every time I saw that, that's all I could think of. A classic DreamWorks from Disney yes. grab, possibly. Yep. Oh yeah, I definitely think so. At, he, at one point, he disguises himself as Metro Man, but he gives himself away by calling the city Metrocity, and Titan realizes only one person calls Metro City Metrocity. Uh, but in the end, Megamind does win, and he and Tina Fey, through this shared traumatic experience, rekindle their love. And a new museum is built in honor of Megamind in the, the same city's location new where Metro Man's had been. And Metro Man seems cool with it because he comes to the dedication. Yeah, and he talks about the added perks of being a good guy and shows his love for Tina Fey. Yeah, this is a weird movie. It is very weird. What do you guys think? Do you think Megamind and Roxanne's relationship is believable? Well, no. he's a supervillain who kidnapped her many times and threatened to kill her many times and lied to her to start a relationship with her. So she has Stockholm Syndrome. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I um, don't understand why this romance plot is even in the movie. Um, Because the relationship with Roxanne is what inspires him to create a new hero. I guess and that's true. to be good. I, yeah. All right, all right. It's like... It's important for a couple of key moments of his story, but it doesn't make a ton of sense that they get back together at the end. Yes. Like, at best, they are friendly. At right. best. Yeah. More likely, they tolerate each other because they share common goals. Yeah. Yeah. Where would you rate it? What do you think, Fiona? You're a guest? You're a Megamind expert? The you Megamind could be, on Megamind. You could be the Bernard of the Megamind Museum. I could be the Bernard, and Bernard seemed nice enough. He uh, did nothing. He just had a cart. <laughs> All the other Bernard stuff is Mega Man and Mega Mind in disguise. You're right. You're right. Uh, is there any part of this that is even realistic? I want to give it a zero. It's realistic good. that she would date Mega Mind in disguise because he's cool. I was gonna go with a one. Yeah, I could go with a one. She would date him in disguise, but then you have to. Is it realistic that someone could disguise themselves in that way to then get? You have to like accept the world of the movie. Okay. You don't have to accept the emotional. Okay. Realities. Then, yeah, a one. I'm gonna give it a two. We'll go a little bigger. Okay. Bold. Yeah. Do you think that Megamind and Roxanne are dateable, Fiona? Um, Megamind has a nice little redemption arc, but for most of the movie, absolutely not. Roxanne, yeah, she's kind of cool, I guess. Yeah, she's dateable. Yeah, but her decision to date Megamind yeah. makes her undateable. I don't want to yeah. date Roxanne. Questionable she's judgment. weird. Do you guys think that Megamind and Roxanne stay together? No. I have no idea. They shouldn't be together, so yeah. it's hard yeah. to answer the That's question. The thing. Like, I don't think they should. In a either. vacuum, I don't think that that would happen, but I, I wouldn't think they would be together at the end of the movie in the first place. Yeah. So do you I think what maybe Megamind will revert to his evil ways and then they'll have to split up. Maybe. But do you guys think this movie should be made into a musical? It's happened to many movies that we've covered before, but not really to the DreamWorks ones, except for Prince of Egypt. And Shrek. A true and Shrek. I don't want this to be a musical. I don't think this needs to go anywhere else. Are you sure? It was released on Blu-ray 3D as part of Samsung's Blu-ray TV starter package. I think this has had its day. There was once a Superman musical. It was called It's a Bird dot dot dot. It's a Plane dot dot dot. It's Superman exclamation point, And it premiered in 1966. How long did it run for? I don't know. There was a Encore's revival of it in 2013. Uh... And also there was a TV version of it in 1975. So we could watch that. We could do an episode on it's a bird, dot, 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 it's a plane, dot, 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 it's Superman, exclamation point. I'm seeing no exclamation point. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's dumber. I no longer have any interest. All right. So uh, I think we're done with Megamind. I think we're done with Megamind. Before we go, I do want to do some further stuff to celebrate this 
momentous occasion on which I was vindicated and Mark was forced to eat crow pie. I cannot wait. This is our 100th episode. Yes. 100. 100. That's generally what 100 means. Yeah, three Three digits. Three digits? I just want to make sure you understand this. Okay. Because I was right. Like, I'm happy to celebrate this with you. It's really fun. I I love doing this show with you, Mark. Are you having fun, Mark? I'm yes, looking at so you. so much fun. I really enjoy doing this show with you. It's a ton of fun. We watch so many good movies and so many bad movies. <laughs> We've watched so many bad movies, Will. Can I ask you each what's been your favorite? Does it have to be one we haven't seen before? Sure. A favorite new one that you had not seen before. Mm. Ho Naho. Oh, that was a good one. Mine genuinely might be Titanic. Which is a masterpiece. I still have not seen it. I've also been thinking a lot about Say Anything dot 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 over the last couple of months. I think that movie's really good. Okay. So we've got Kaho Neho and Say Anything slash Titanic. I'm sorry, what? Slash Titanic? Say Anything dot dot dot. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Okay. Right, right, right. Um, Now, as I'm sure you remember, Fifi Fierce, on our one year anniversary episode, I quizzed Mark on old hashtags from the show. I did real bad. I'm not going to ask you about those again. Because you've been reminded of some of them as we prepare for our episode 100 party. So instead, what I want to do is talk to you about some of the sequels and spinoffs that we've pitched on this show. So what's going to happen is I'm going to give you the titles of some of these movies, and you're going to tell me what they're about. Okay. Okay. Um, before we do this, both of you, can you identify any sequels or spinoffs that you remember from the show? Something about Soul Train. Yes, indeed. The Soul Train. Do you know what it's about? No. All I remember... Soul Train! Children get hit by lightning and a train at the same time. Yeah, it's inspired by Sweet Home Alabama, where the little kids get struck by lightning while kissing on a beach. Ah, yes, okay. But in this time, they're also run into by a train that is powered by the energy of souls. We also had a Parent Trap spinoff slash sequel. There were two. Do you remember either of them? Something about a thruple. (laughs) John C. Riley. Indeed, the parent (laughs) trap, thruple in paradise. I don't remember. Where John C. Riley and a triplet? Yes. Show up. The triplet is a boy, but he dresses up like the girls. Yes. I don't remember the other parent trap sequel we made. Okay. We'll talk about it. I also, of course, Vertigo, the right stuff. Midge goes to space. Indeed, Ooh. that was Vertigo 3. Okay, I couldn't remember the number. That's where Midge plays the Sam Shepard part in The Right Stuff. Do you remember any of the other Vertigo sequels? Not a clue. Vertigo 2 was the saga of Midge, where she joins a team of occult San Francisco historians going into the underbelly of the city to discover secrets. Oh, of course. And Vertigo 4 was also space-themed. It was a remake of Geostorm, in which Midge played all the roles. <laughs> oh, I oh, definitely right. remember of course. that. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk through a couple of these movie pitches. All Most right. of them are from the past year of the show. As a reminder, I have listened to one episode of this show, I believe. <laughs> all right. That is an embarrassment. <laughs> hey, I'm here. I hear I the behind the scenes. I listen to all of my episodes <laughs> and all the other ones. All right. But so, especially mine. So can either of you tell me the plot line of the feature film soon to be released entitled Flip Flop Time Orders? <laughs> Flip-flop time Time orders. orders. Okay, this is going to be someone who walks around in flip-flops all the time, but they're one of those bad flip-flop wearers where they make noises every time they step, and then they end up traveling through time, um, and they travel back into the past before flip-flops have been invented, and everyone is astounded at these (laughs) scandalous (laughs) shoes. All right, this is so much. (laughs) I have no idea. Mark, do you have any idea? Is it... 
The only time movie I can think of is Kate and Leopold. No, this was pitched during our Twilight episode, and it's about a time-traveling pizzeria where spinning pizzas lead the shop to travel forwards and backwards in time. I like my flip-flop one better. Where do we come up with these ideas? Um, okay, Mark, this one should be easier for you because you were part of the inspiration of this. Um, this film is called Mark Ox, colon, Attorney at Law, Private Eye, and Baloney Salesman. I, this is from a movie... Where there is a congressperson named, like, Babe the Blue Ox, I believe. You're close! I don't remember. I was gonna legally change my name to Mark Ox. Indeed, if the episode got 300 listens, it hasn't happened yet, but it still could, dear listeners. Nope, time is up. How many does it have? I don't know. Um, is it legally blonde it is not you're right there was a congressman whose name was representative babe ox and we correctly identified that he went by babe the blue because of his union uniform from the civil war he was married to mary mapes dodge who wrote a little children's book called hans brinker or the silver skates geostorm that's right it's where the dutch boy myth comes from and as we know mark ox over the course of his life with that great name probably served as an attorney at law private eye and baloney salesman exactly and you guys could still get mark to change his name so spread the word about the podcast all right i'm gonna throw another one at you mark this one might be easier what's the plot of the feature film queen latifah call me it's from um last holiday Mm -hmm. it is about a cooking show Indeed, the, the show Cooking with the Queen. The show Cooking with the Queen. But I think it's mostly a desperate ploy for me to get Queen Latifah to call me. So it is... Fiona, do you know? Oh, no, but I was just going to say, are we sure it's not Malcolm Doyle filling in Queen Latifah's planner every day with his phone number to get her to reach out? It's not, but that's a good pitch. Okay. So as you know, there's the TV show Cooking with the Queen, which is a cooking show with Queen Latifah and... LL Cool J. That's right. Ladies love Cool John. What a ridiculous name. And this is a Julie and Julia style movie about someone who idolizes the show and is trying to team up with Queen Latifah. All right, let's try another one. Uh, This film, this was one of your ideas, Mark, which is rare for these weird movie pitches. From our episode on Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, you pitched the film Down with Blood. (laughs) Down with Blood? Indeed. Is it about vampires? It is. It's about a vampire. It's about Dracula getting his groove back? No. Is it Edward Cullen? No. It is a sequel to another movie that we covered on the show. (coughs) Not Twilight. No. Someone from Kate and Leopold? A similar plot structure to this film, Down with Blood. So, Down with Love. Mm Mm-hmm. But Ewan McGregor becomes a vampire? No, Sarah Paulson becomes a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Even better. I stand by that one. She looks like a witch when she appears in that movie. There's like a smoke coming out of the elevator. Yeah. If it were Kate and Leopold, Fiona, the elevator wouldn't be there. Yeah, because elevators disappear. Elevator shafts exist, but no elevators. And they were invented because everyone remembers elevators. They just is bullshit. What happened? It doesn't make any sense. I know it doesn't make sense, but like, actually, what happened? Kate and Andrew did not make this list, but you might remember Kate and Andrew, where she dates a man who invented the tungsten filament. Oh, yes, yes. Another one of these movies, Mark, this one might be easier, from our episode on The Empire Strikes Back, A Tauntaun's Purpose. <laughs> it's, it's a dog's purpose, but with Luke's <laughs> Tauntaun, it gets sliced open. I would open. rather watch that than a dog's Over purpose. and over again, it comes back to life and they get sliced open so people can sleep in it. <laughs> okay, Fiona, you were here for this one. Can you describe for me the plot of The Butcher's Bouquet? Okay, this, is, this has to do with flowers 
as what they mean. And the messages you can send. And I'm trying to remember what movie this was. It wasn't a high school musical one, was no, it? No, this is Kate and Leopold. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're right. And a, a murderer <laughs> sends flowers to warn people that they're about to get killed, right? But he sends the wrong bouquet and accidentally starts a gang war. Yes. Okay. As you recall that. All right, Fiona, I want to know the plot of the other Uh-oh. Parent Trap sequel slash spinoff. What's it called? It's called The Parent, comma, Trapped. Is it that the girls, instead of trying to get their parents back together, they kidnap them and lock them up somewhere and torture them? Kind of. (laughs) The official description on my spreadsheet of all of our Uh information is the kids, having been traumatized by their separation, continue to manipulate their parents in ever more convoluted situations, ultimately resulting in a cask of Amontillado type situation. (laughs) But the kids themselves are inside too, trapping their family together. So they're all trapped. Yeah. Now, is it just twins, or are they triplets in this one? I think this is a different universe than the Parent Trap 2 Thruple in Paradise. Okay. Lastly, Fiona. Yes. This one's for you, because Mark was not on this episode. Oh. Oh, Princess Diaries? You are a huge Princess Diaries fan. A couple weeks ago, you said it was the movie you've watched the most. Yes. You have also been eagerly hoping for a Princess Diaries 3. Yeah. On that episode, we pitched the plot of the Princess Diaries 3. Do you know it? What was it called? The Princess Diaries 3. It didn't have a subtitle? No. All I know is if it's got Jandrews, I'm all on board. I do not remember this. It features two characters who are antagonists in the first movie becoming major antagonists. Lily? No. Lana? <laughs> no. Wait, what? Say that again? It features two characters who are antagonists in the first movie becoming like major top tier threats. The Queen? No. Paolo? No. What? Josh? No. What? Michael. The Baron and Baroness. Oh, yeah. What do they do? So I pointed out in that episode that within one They're year. They're murdering. Yes. Their way to the top. Within one year, Queen Clarice's husband and the crown prince have both died. Yes. Allegedly due to illness. This is a grave coincidence yeah. in the 21st century. Yep. And so in Princess Diaries 3, it is revealed that they have been murdering their way to the throne yes. because they didn't know about Mia when those people died. Right. So they would have thought that would put them there. And so now they're making the move for Mia. Also, Queen Jandrews said in the first movie that Mia not taking the throne would be the end of Genovia as they know it, which means that the Baron and Baroness want to be absolute monarchs. Together. Exactly. Yes. Also, this is just in my notes, there's an otter proletarian uprising. Oh, because- Right, the backpack. Right, because otters are the oppressed proletariat of Genovia because all the humans are nobles. Yes. Because you posited that the reason they have the Independence Day ball in San Francisco is because every person from Genovia has come to San Francisco. Yeah. Everyone except the orphans in the orphanage. And they're all nobles. There are nobles and orphans, and that's it. Right, but we Who don't actually... the orphans' parents? I don't know, but we don't know about the orphans in this movie. That appears in the second one. So, so. all the labor is done by otters. They have a proletarian uprising. Yes, I stand by that. Wow, what an amazing show we do. (laughs) We have some wacky ideas here, friends. Over the course of the last 100 episodes, we have reviewed 112 movies because of the ones that we covered as part of our Oscar episodes. Oh, yes. So our question that we've been asking ourselves is, does Hollywood romance make any sense? And we've been assigning numerical scores to that, and I have our results so far. Oh, what is our average? The answer to the question. So, Mark, your average score... Across 112 movies. Can I guess it? Yes. I'm going to say the average is probably a four. Your average ranking is 5.51. Oh, better than I thought. Right down the middle. My average ranking is 
Hey, that's pretty close. So we are pretty darn on the nose. We're basically in the margin of error. Yeah. Yeah. Our average ranking by guests is 5.727. Charitable friends. Do you have minds? They also bring the movies a lot of times. So oftentimes these are guests who love the movies that they bring. Fair. That is true. Fiona's ranking. I can't wait. Is a 5.2. Oh, so like right around you guys. Our rankings for those same episodes, which I have taken out. (laughs) Yes. Me for those same episodes. My average ranking is a 4.8. Okay. Not too far off. And Mark's is a (laughs) 4.5. Mark, you're so harsh. (laughs) Think about James Marston. (laughs) Amazing. So we've got the data. We're going to keep running it. And uh, so far, it's right down the line, folks. Yeah. So the answer would we say, is Hollywood romance actually believable? The answer is kind of. Slightly more than it's not. Yeah. Which is not bad. Yeah. It's kind of higher than I thought it would be. Same. Based on the movies we've chosen to watch. Yeah. Oh, shoot. My phone has been on the floor this whole time. You guys can verify that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I got a voicemail. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, my gosh. I have not listened to this. We'll just see what's going on. It's a voicemail. Well, it must have come in at some point during the show. Wait, what's that red laser right on your forehead there? <laughs> Doc! <laughs> Is it going away? No. Oh, just, just play the voicemail. Let's see what happens. Hey, Mark. Will. It's your old friend, Tony A. Anthony, vice president of marketing and advertising for General Inches Podcasting and Film and Television at Square Apron. Listen, heard about the uh, 100 episodes, wanted to call you, congratulate you, and uh, give you a little something for it. In, uh, in gratitude for the uh, services you have rendered, and in anticipation of future services to be rendered at a later date, I have bequeathed to you both a present. It will arrive momentarily. Are you going to answer that? Do we even have a doorbell? (laughs) No, we do not. Uh... There's a briefcase here. It was weird. The doorbell rang, but I didn't see anybody. <laughs> no, there was no one in the hallway. Right. They also took the time to install a doorbell. And also ring it. How did they know when we were going to listen to that voicemail? I don't know. They like, do you think they're listening to us right now? I mean, probably. They're always listening. They're also aiming a sniper at your forehead, so they're clearly keeping an eye on but us. they're also our only sponsor, and we really appreciate the great work that Square Apron yeah, does. Square Apron's a great company. Build a beautiful website from the comfort of their own home. I can't wait to learn more about... Bertha butters bears. It's a bear bonanza. <laughs> What's in the briefcase? What's in the briefcase? Is it Gwyneth Paltrow's head? It's going to be something that Tony Anthony thinks we would appreciate, so... So probably Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Okay, this is good and also weird. Okay. Tony Anthony, a wonderful and beneficent patron, has given us stacks of $100 bills. Oh! Wow! This podcast is finally profitable. <laughs> We're no longer losing money on it. Eh... Uh. I'll show you the numbers later. <laughs> I may be charging some stuff to the company credit card. <laughs> there is also, I guess this is a message, Nick Vallelonga's Christmas CD, <laughs> New York City Christmas. I mean, Tony A. Anthony does sound like a kind of guy who might know him. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> what do you think this message means? If you play it, I'm leaving. I guess he wants us to talk about Christmas more. Oh, wait, there's 
Uh, there's another voicemail. Now you may think this present is perhaps gratuitous, but that the value is too much. To which I say, don't mention it. Seriously, don't mention it. Not to the police, not to nobody. On a related note, I would like you to confirm receipt of this message. Not by phone, too risky. This connection is no longer secure given recent developments. As a token of your trust, I will need you to send me the hair of Will's face, his beard. Stuff it in a bag and or pillow and send it to me, Tony A. Anthony. The requested method of shipment is enclosed in the aforementioned present. Best wishes and talk soon. Does he have a weird hair thing? Are we supposed to send it through the CD? Wait a minute. Is this there, like a locks of love thing? Does there, he need your hair for a beard? There's a note under the money. Should I do the voice? What? Like, I don't know. It's a note from Tony Anthony. I guess. This is live, so there's no way we can edit out that we received all this money. Yeah. Might as well go all in. As should be obvious, I cannot give you an exact address. Instead, please bring the package containing the requested material to the Silver Spring Post Office at the stroke of midnight of the next full moon. My associate, Vinny, will be at the back of the parking lot. He will blindfold you. You will ask him... Vinny, what's the best pizza in the five boroughs? He will answer, Papa John's. He will then remove the blindfold and take the package. As always, this note will self-destruct in five seconds. This is an interesting method. It's paper. Tony said that the phones are no longer secure. Does that mean if he contacts us, what's he going to do? I don't know. We need those square apron checks. I say we just keep moving forward like everything's Bye. And like maybe we do some extra Christmas coverage this year. We're not playing that CD for the love of God. But like we can cover some more Christmas movies. Yes, we can do that. I love Christmas movies. Okay. And you know, folks, we could really use you using that square apron code because this is getting shady. But I guess I got to shave my beard. Also, it doesn't seem like square apron needs the money. (laughs) (laughs) And it's clearly a front. Okay. (laughs) Square apron is clearly a front. Anyway, I I think that for Bertha Butter. Yeah, poor Bertha. And I guess I gotta shave. Oh, well. So there will be new podcast art, I guess. Should we have some crow pie? We should have some cookie cake. That's for gosh dang sure. Let's finish this episode. All right. That does it for the film Megamind, which we have been discussing today. Next week, we'll be getting into the Halloween spirit. Hang in there, Tony. We're gonna do Christmas. Maybe some of the movies will be set in New York. But we're doing the first of a run of spooky movies. Spooky! 1944's Gaslight, starring Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer. Well, according to Will, I need to say words like a word person. This movie is fantastic. Terrifying. Go watch it. It's so good. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, or you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Give us an idea for the next hundred. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that the next hundred have even more friends listening along. Last question, Fiona. You're the Megamind on Megamind, so what's the best dating advice from Megamind? If you've got some blue skin, you should disguise yourself as a nerdy-looking guy. And no, that is not what I want to say. Uh... I mean, the bad thing is the movie just encourages you to repeatedly kidnap the woman of your dreams. Don't do that. 
there is no example of a healthy relationship no. dynamic in this movie um, in any way. Um, but you can work together to defeat evil together. Okay. That's boring, but... I think that's all we can get. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Until the next hundred episodes, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay, so between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye-bye! Bye. Bye.